The Old Testament reading for the first Sunday after Trinity is from Genesis chapter 15, beginning at the first verse. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The epistle is from 1 John chapter 4, beginning at the 16th verse. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. For this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel is written in the 16th chapter of St. Luke, beginning at the 19th verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. 
And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed that which was fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his wounds. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in cool water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if one should rise from the dead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it happened in, at the Vale, Bridal Vale Lumber Company in Portland, Oregon, about 30 miles to the east of Portland. And the job of Thomas Welsh he was to walk out on this trestle. He was an engineer's assistant. He had to walk out on this trestle, the sawmill, because from, what happened is there's a pond 50 feet below the trestle, and the logs would get dumped off from trucks or trains, and uh, they would sit in that pond, which is 10 feet deep, and then eventually the, they would kind of work their way over, and they'd get on a conveyor and go up and get, get, get cut into lumber. And T- Welch's job was to get the wood if it got tangled up on the trestle, and his job was to kind of untangle that and kind of maintain it. And so what happened one day was he had some logs that got, you know, tangled. They weren't moving up the conveyor. And so he went out on the trestle to deal with them and he slipped. And he said, all I remember is falling. And about 30 feet down, I hit on my head on one of the beams. And then I hit all the beams going down and then I hit the water. And that's all I remember. And I know I was under the water for up about 45 minutes to an hour. I was clearly dead. But I wasn't. You see, I wasn't dead. Even though I was dead, I was somewhere else instantly. There was no time difference. I was just there, and then I was someplace else. And where I was was I was on the shore of of a lake or an ocean. But it wasn't water I was looking at, though it was blue. It was fire. It it was like right out of Revelations 21. It was the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. And I, I don't even know how I knew it, but I knew that's what it was. And there were a lot of people around me, a lot. And some people I even recognized from when I was in elementary school. People that I knew had already died. They were there with me. And we were all looking at the fire. Nobody was talking. We were all hopeless because we all knew that we were in a place. We were in a prison. We were in a place from which there is no escape. You don't even look for one because you're not getting out. That the only way you escape from this place is divine intervention. And and the divinity isn't going to intervene. And I began, and I, and I thought to myself, I thought, if, if, oh, if, oh God, if I'd only known that there was such a place as this, I would have done anything to escape being here. That was a thought in my mind. I didn't say it with words, but that was a thought in my mind. 
And that is when I saw him. It was really in the distance, in the crowd. I saw him. He was moving through the crowd. But I knew it was him. I don't know how I knew, but it was Christ. It was Jesus. He was moving through the crowd. And I could see in his strong, confident, loving face who it was. And I thought to myself, now he's got the answer. He's the one who could rescue me from this place. He could do it. If only he would look at me. That would be enough. But he didn't look at me. He just moved through the crowd. And he came even with me, and I, I was hoping he would look at me. And, I was, you know, and, and he didn't, and he kept moving away. And he was almost out of sight. He was almost on the horizon, out of sight. And he turned, and he looked at me, and I was back in my body. It was like entering a house. And I could hear the people working on me, and I could hear the, the Brocks praying for me, especially Mrs. Brock. She was praying, oh, God, don't take Tom. He's not saved. And then life came back into me. I opened my eyes and I spoke. In other words, hell is a real place. It's real. People go there. And it's interesting how Mrs. Brock's prayer and and, and, and Thomas Welsh's desperation reflect the same desperation in the voice of the rich man in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Because, see, one thing we fail to understand is these parables, they're not made-up stories. They're real stories of real people. It's just Jesus doesn't, doesn't give us the specifics of who they actually are. They're real. And we read about this in how in Luke 16 how he cries to Father Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. Send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. And Abraham said to them, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he says, no, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Jesus said to them, what? If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. They have Moses and the prophets. See, this is the big mistake we, the church, make. We forget that the strength of the church is not our programs or how winsome we are the gimmicks. It's simply God's word. Moses and the prophets. Consider what Jesus said. Because you see, I think we Americans in this life who are living in this time we are in right now, we live arguably better than the rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who fared sumptuously every day. I mean, in this life, we Americans, we love our good things, right? We love our food channels and our good restaurants and our vacations and our conveniences and all the luxuries we have. We have more luxuries and better food and all this stuff, more than the rich man in this parable could ever have imagined. We have it. And yet, yet has there been ever a generation more bored and unimpressed and depressed than us? Because we have it so tough. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to put my toast in a toaster. 
absurd. I'm sure the Lord does, does, does intervene, you know, sheds a tear for me in the morning. We fare so sumptuously. Our vacations and our recreation, our health care, our cars. I mean, think about that. I mean, you just have to actually walk there. And if I don't get the parking place that's right next to the store, my goodness, that is a burden. Um, no, and when we think life through, we think life through, and we, when we actually sit down in a moment of sobriety and, and play out the timelines in our life, like let our lives go before us as Thomas Welsh's life went before him while he was in that place of waiting for the lake of fire, we will see the truth. And the truth is that all roads eventually lead where? To a grave. You know, I was talking about this with my catechumens a few weeks ago. You know, what is the purpose of the church? Ultimately, it is to prepare you to face death. And if you're not ready to do that today, then we have work to do. Because you see, Hebrews 9.22 tells us that it is appointed for men once to die and then the judgment. As St. Paul points, we points out, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, each one, that each one may receive his due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So, how about it? Are we feeling good and confident, comforted, that if that happens today, if that's our outcome today, that, that things are going to be good for us? Or are we haunted by some doubts. Don't really want to think about it. I mean, do we fear the rich man's fate? Because the implication in, in, in this reading from Luke is that the rich man was a devout church-attending Lutheran. And I say that only half, in a half-jest. He was a member, he was a devout member. There's nowhere, nowhere it says he wasn't devout when his church attendance, or synagogue attendance, or temple attendance, whatever you want to use. You see, because if we're fearful or uncertain of our salvation, then we need to find out how Christ Jesus' love can be perfected in us, that we may have confidence on that day of judgment, which will come. It's like living down here on the Gulf Coast. I and mean, we've got some Tennesseans here. They don't understand this, this, this anxiety that we have down here. But we've got these things called hurricanes. And it's not a matter of if they're going to come, is it? It's just a matter of when. They're coming. And when in June it's already in the 90s, high 90s, I mean, we, it, you know, we start to become a little antsy. So, so what is the key? How do we find this comfort? How do we find this certainty? And Jesus gives us the answer through the words of Abraham himself. When Abraham says to, to, to the rich man in hell, he says to them, your brothers, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them shema. Let them hear them. Let them akuo them. Let them hear them. And that's the, same, that's the same thing we are being told today. We are to hear the word of God. Do we? And if we don't, we should. Because hearing means that you're not just merely going to acknowledge sounds, but you're actually going to, going to do what they say. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, these are, this, is, this is critical, important information that God has embedded for us in his word. Because that's how we receive faith, right? I mean, the great discovery of Martin Luther was that the just shall live by faith, right? From Habakkuk. Fair enough. Well, how do we get faith? 
Well, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ nor come to him. So how does it happen? Well, it happens, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of the Lord. We have to hear the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Those are the words of eternal life. Therefore, we are to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, as we sing the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to God. I know the first hymn today was a little difficult. Were you singing with gratitude that hymn? (laughs) I don't know if I was. And I picked it. No, the true word of God is the word that now is at work within you who believe, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And this is why it is so critical to our everlasting life that we be in church when the worship services are occurring. What a novel idea, right? I mean, faith comes through hearing and hearing comes through the word of God. The, the implication there is, is first is always preaching, we are, to, we, are to, we are not to despise the Lord's preaching and his word, as Luther explains in his explanation to the second commandment. Secondly, we are to study his word. You know, we spend so much time, you know, looking at and studying things that are completely, absolutely, unmitigatedly useless. Instead of doing that, why don't, why don't we take some of that time and give it to the scriptures? Think about it. I think 10 minutes a day, just as a beginning, might just revolutionary, revolutionize our whole lives. And then also come and hear our pastors teach us, wherever they are, whether they're in Tennessee or, or here or wherever. I mean, you know, God has sent them to preach and teach to you. Take advantage of it. Because that's how Christ chooses to give you faith, through his word And then also through his sacraments, he chooses to give you faith because we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, yet the gift must be unwrapped. And it is unwrapped when we hear Moses and the prophets. That's how the just live by faith. Comes by hearing. Comes by hearing. Yes, Lazarus heard the word, no doubt, because he was uncomforted in Abraham's bosom and the rich man did not. He did not receive faith that is shielded by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time, as Peter points out in his first epistle. No, salvation is revealed in Jesus' words and his sacraments. We see this in Old Baptism. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus, the Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, you know, what do I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And what, is he, what, is, what do you mean by that? Born again of water and the Spirit. Because in baptism, we are raised with Jesus Christ through faith, as Paul says in Colossians 2.12. Yes, in baptism, as, as Paul points out in Galatians, we put on Christ. In Romans, we are baptized into Jesus' death, so that in baptism, we are baptized into his death. We, we put on him, we, put, we are put Christ on as a garment, and we are resurrected with Jesus, so that his resurrection becomes our resurrection, all in baptism. How amazing. And the same thing is true for the Lord's, Lord's Supper. You know, the other, the other great pillar of the New Testament church and one of, the, one of the great good news is that the Lutherans have to share with the world that we often ignore is the fact that we come to Christ's altar and receive the certainty, the forgiveness of sins there, given and shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, Christ's body and blood under the veils of bread and wine. And how do we know this? Again, because of God's word, which is what Moses and the prophet stands for. Because Jesus, in the night in which he's betrayed, takes the bread, he breaks it, and what does he say? Take, eat, this is my body given for you. In the same manner also, he takes the cup. 
Take and drink. This cup is the New Testament in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Yes, in Moses and the prophets, in God's word, we receive certainty of everlasting life and we need never fear the fate of the rich man. In Jesus' name, amen.